excited to begin today talking about what Christmas is the season for. So every single week, we're going to be filling in the blank. Christmas is the season for something. Before we get into all that, uh, our last message in this series, we're going to talk specifically how Christmas is the season for giving. But all throughout this December season, we're going to be looking at what as a church family we're going to do for our Christmas gift. Every single year as a church family, we do a Christmas gift to an organization outside of this church or a group of people outside of this church to be a blessing to them. So this year, I've been praying about what we were going to give to as a church family. And I was just uh, really kind of warring over what we were going to give to. I thought it was going to be one thing, and then I was praying about it and just didn't feel a piece about it. I thought it was going to be something else, praying about that, didn't have a piece about it. And then earlier this week, uh, I thought of something, uh, of an experience that I had when I was on a mission trip in Thailand many, many years ago. When I was, I think I was 22 at the time, uh, I led a group of about 25 high school students to Thailand uh, on a mission trip, and we visited an orphanage out in the middle of the mountains in Thailand. And I experienced something at this orphanage that really opened my, eye, my mind and my eyes to what true missions should look like. Because so many times as Americans, we even go on mission trips, and we go over there, we preach the gospel, but then we just kind of leave because it's time for us to, to go back home. Uh, but what I saw is uh, a, a woman from Colorado who felt called to Thailand, and she went to Thailand, and instead of starting an orphanage and constantly needing you know, just thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every single year in order to run the orphanage, she decided that they were going to build this orphanage, then they were going to plant agri- you know, all kinds of agriculture and have their own animals and their own fields so that the orphanage would be self-sustaining. Because she realized that if we, she had to rely on Western financial support, then she could only house maybe 20, maybe 30 kids. But if they became a self-sustaining orphanage, that they could house over 100. So when we were there, we had, there was well over 100. I think it was like 175 kids in this orphanage that were primarily fed through their, their own fields and the, own, you know, the, the animals that the orphanage owned. So I began to think about this experience. And then I remembered that one of the organizations that we have partnered with in the past called Convoy of Hope, they have a portion of their ministry that deals specifically with agricultural training and materials so that, you know, that old adage, if you take someone fishing, you can feed them for a day. But if you teach them how to fish, you know, they can feed their family for a lifetime. They have this mindset. So they go into places, go into schools. They train children. They train, uh, you know, single mothers. They train uh, men on how to cultivate the ground and how to plant crops and have animals that then provide for their family, but also provide a way of income for their family. So that's what we're going to give to you this year. Uh, So if you go to Convoy of Hope uh, website and you go to the agricultural portion of their website, you can read, I mean, hundreds of stories of how they've been doing this for years. But I wanted to highlight some of the things that as we pray about giving as a church family, as I ask you to pray about giving towards this initiative, there's just some of the things that we could give to as a church. So uh, how giving is going to work, you can go to the Vine Trustville website, and on our website, normally on the drop-down, it says, you know, general fund. There's another fund that's there that says My Christmas Agricultural Gift. You can give that way, or if you want to give directly through Convoy of Hope and just let us know, you could do that as well. If you want to give directly to Convoy of Hope and not tell us about it, that's fine too. The main thing is that Convoy of Hope is going to get every single dollar that's given into this fund is going to go to them. So if you give at vinetrustful.com, Every single penny of that's going to go directly to this Christmas gift this year. So uh, this is just from their website, agriculture. The potential for lasting change 
is in the soil. And the best solutions are homegrown. With training and resources, fields will flourish. The best solutions are grown at home. When you partner with Convoy, you give people the skills to break the cycle of poverty for themselves. Convoy's agriculture specialists teach production methods that encourage long-term sustainable practices. With improved practices and larger yields, farmers are often able to give back to Convoy's strategy or strategic feeding programs. So kind of what this means is we gave to the feeding program last year. What Convoy does is they go in and train farmers to get better yields on their fields, as well as they go in and train individual families uh, to, to how to grow crops. And a lot of times the people they train take the crops that they have and they give them back to the feeding program to feed kids in orphanages around the world. It's a pretty amazing thing. So uh, we can buy chickens, you know, from $40 as a single chicken up to $400. You can buy lots of chickens. Uh, you can buy a goat for $125. So when you buy a goat, it talks all about this on the website and how that a goat not only provides food, but also provides lasting income for a family. Uh, we can bu buy farming and garden tools for about $100 is enough for one family to have the tools that they need. And what I would love to do is I would love to be able to do a school garden as well as all this other stuff. So what they do is they go into schools and they set up an entire garden at that school and then they train children from a young age on how to grow crops as well as you know the crops that are yielded from that school's garden go back into that school's feeding program. But also it trains you know young men and young women how to help provide for their family and get out of the cycle of poverty all over the all over the world. I mean they have these kind of agricultural programs from Honduras, I mean from Central America, South America, Asia, it's all over the place. So I encourage you, if you want to research more, go to the website and you can read all kinds of stories, read about each one of these initiatives. Or, uh, you know, e either way, this is what we're going to be giving to as a church family. So I encourage you to pray about over the next few weeks. Uh, if you have kids, I'd encourage you to give with your kids. Pray with your kids about uh, giving and what you guys are going to do as a family so that the kids are aware, hey, you know what, this year not only are we giving each other gifts, but we're going to give the gift of, uh, you know, agriculture to someone in, in a foreign country. What we're really going to do is we're going to give the gift of prosperity to someone in another country. So that's what they're doing, is they're training them how to be prosperous and successful and not live in poverty their whole lives and, and be starving. So uh, it's a super cool program. It's also near to my heart uh, because of what I experienced at the orphanage, but also I just love agriculture. Uh, Brooke and I love to grow things in a garden. Sometimes we do well, other times we're terrible. We could probably use some training, uh, but we're not really going hungry, so they're not going to come and help us. None of this will go towards the Headley's garden, all right? None of this, I promise you that. Uh, so that's our giving this year, what we're going to do. We're going to jump into the first message in this series called Christmas is the Season 4. And today, this morning, I'm going to preach on something that I have never in my entire life heard a message on. I've never heard anyone preach on it. I've never preached on it. So it might be great or it might be terrible. There might be a reason no one preaches on it. But uh, I was praying about what is the Christmas season for? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Obviously, the birth of Jesus, we're going to go through that. But the Christmas is the season for something. So starting off in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Everywhere you go at Christmas time, every store you go into, almost every radio station when you get closer to Christmas starts to play the same music. Like, have you noticed this? It's the one time in the whole year that everyone collectively decides we're going to listen to the same great slash terrible music. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's horrible. You know, Christmas music. It's just the one time we all get together and say, you know what, it's okay for us to just all listen to the same thing. So something that took place in this story, the angels show up and they begin to praise God and they were singing. See, we're going to talk today about how Christmas is the season for singing. I've never heard anyone preach on singing specifically. Usually when we talk about singing, we just uh, lump it in with worship. But as we've talked about in our Pursuing Jesus series, worship is so much more than singing. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a sacrificial uh, attitude. It's an internal position towards God. But I begin to think, man, how many scriptures are there in the Bible that specifically list singing? Like, there's tons. Look it up. I mean, you can, I, this week, Google, you know, verses that include singing. There, page after page after page, verse after verse after verse. So today we're going to talk about why is Christmas the reason for singing? Everywhere we go during the season, we hear singing. It's that time of year where we all sing the same songs, and maybe some of you even have some Christian Christmas traditions like our family uh, that involve singing. Our family, at the end of Christmas present time, every single year, every si- Brooke says no, don't tell. Yes, every single year, we do it every single year. Whenever the last present is open, we sing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Right? Like, you know, okay. that, that was our tradition growing up. We've carried that into uh, our family. When I say we've carried that, is I sing it by myself when the last present is opened every year. Because that's what we did as kids. Nobody in my immediate family joins in unless I force them. But it's still a tradition because it happens every single year. Maybe some of you have more enjoyable experiences. Uh, one of the things that we do is we drive around every year and look at Christmas lights. So growing up, uh, in my immediate family, my parents and my brother and I, when we drove around and looked at Christmas lights, it involved Christmas carol singing. We didn't listen to the radio. My parents led us in Christmas carols. And my brother and I did not participate unless we were forced. And we tried to carry on that tradition. Many years ago, we were in Lubbock, Texas, and we were going to drive around and look at Christmas lights. It was my parents, Brooke and I, my brother, and my sister-in-law, all six of us in the car. And my parents were like, let's sing Christmas carols. And so my mom starts singing, and the, uh, you know, the two daughter-in-laws were like, no, we're not doing this. We are not doing this. And then it stopped, and that tradition did not live on. But Christmas is a time for singing. What? Yep, she said no. They said no. Then we're not doing this. Look up singing in Scripture. You'll find verse after verse after verse. Think about something. Who created singing? God. God created singing. He created us, humanity, with the ability to sing. Some of us to sing really beautifully and sing really well. Some of us, it's not so beautiful. But you can still sing. God created singing. 
So let's think about why would God create singing if it had no purpose? Singing serves a very specific purpose. There's a reason why God created us as beings who can sing because there are some things that can only be said through song. And we're going to look at some verses today about singing. We're going to look at some reasons why we sing. And then we're going to spend the last bit of our time together singing worship uh, to the Lord. God created singing. He created music and melody. Not only did he create us to sing, but he created all creation with the ability to sing. Psalms 66, 4. All the earth bows down to you, God. All of the earth, all of creation sings praises to God. They sing the praises of your name. One of my favorite things to do in the springtime is to sit out on the back porch and to listen to creation sing. To listen to the birds coming in and singing. A couple weeks back, I was sitting on the back porch and I heard another form of creation singing. I was sitting out there and the leaves were falling off the trees and then a huge gust of wind came through our backyard. And then all kinds of leaves began to fall. And my mind began to think, i got to pick all those up. Then I stopped in a moment and thought, what a beautiful sound. God created his creation to sing. That sound was created for his pleasure. All of creation sings to God. So why do we sing? One of the reasons that we sing is to express emotion. There are some things, there are some emotions that we can't articulate with words. We can only articulate with melody. One of the reasons we sing is to express our emotions. Sometimes when we are full of sorrow and grief, we can sing that emotion. Sometimes when we're full of joy and exuberance, we can sing that emotion. You know, sometimes we're, we're experiencing deep emotions and we don't even know the emotions that we're really experiencing. We can't even articulate what's going on inside of us, but we can sing and what we're feeling is going to come out in those songs. One of the reasons we sing is to express the deepest emotions going on inside of our soul. God created us to be able to do that. God created music and melody and singing so that we could express things we don't even know how to express any other way. Why do we sing? To express emotion. The next thing, why do we sing? Because singing can bring deliverance. Earlier this week, we read in Acts chapter 16 with our kids uh, this story and you know, the story is, is Paul and Silas, and they're in uh, a town, and they're preaching the gospel, and there is a, a young woman in the town who is demon-possessed, and she can tell the future, so they cast the demon out of the woman, and because her masters aren't going to make money anymore off of her being able to tell the future, they don't celebrate that she's now free from the demon. Instead, they start attacking Paul and Silas, right? They bring them before the leaders. Uh, they're all mad at them. There's a mob there. They actually strip them, and they beat them. And they've been beaten with rods. They were severely beaten. Then they're placed in jail. So Paul and Silas are in prison just after being beaten. They're in the very center of the jail. And then at verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. See, sometimes so many things have gone on around us uh, so much turmoil, so much tragedy has gone on around us that we're sitting in the middle of a prison that has nothing to do with us. 
It was not by our own design. We've been entrapped by other people and they're, the way they've betrayed us or hurt us and we're sitting in the middle of a prison and the last thing that we think about doing is praising God for being in the middle of a prison. The last thing we think about doing is thanking God through song. Sometimes we're in the middle of a prison right in the center of that jail and it's completely because of our own doing. We've placed ourselves in the middle and we have no thought process, no desire to praise God. Paul and Silas are in the middle of this prison and they start singing. A lot of us know this story. What happens? They start singing. And because of their songs, because they're praising God in the middle of this prison, God sends an earthquake. The entire ground starts to shake. Then all the chains that has bound every prisoner, not just Paul and Silas, but every prisoner in the entire jail, all of their chains fall off, and then all the doors swing open and set everyone free. So what happens then is the jailer comes in and he sees all the doors open he sees all the chains have come off the prisoners and he thinks that all the prisoners have escaped so he picks up his sword and he's about to kill himself because he's going to be executed for his failure to keep the prisoners in the jail so right before he kills himself Paul and Silas show up and they say no 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 look around every single prisoner is still here even though they've been set free their chains are gone the doors are open they've stayed here And the jailer falls to his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? He recognizes that God is real. Paul and Silas lead him to Christ. Then he goes and takes them to their house. They all eat dinner together. His whole household is led to Christ. All because they started singing. A few years back, we were at a really difficult place. And uh, it, it felt like my walls around me were crashing. And I felt like I was in the middle of a prison. And not by my own doing, but because of all kinds of circumstances and other people and stuff that had taken place. And I was really frustrated. I was really down. I was really depressed, sad. And I called a friend of mine. And I remember it's one of the only times someone has ever said what he said to me. He said, it sounds like you need to sing. I I knew he meant worship and praise, but it was very real. Like, no, I needed to sing. I needed to express how good God is in the midst of this difficult situation that I'm in. So I drove out. We lived in Temecula, California at the time. I drove out in the middle of the field. I rolled up the windows in the car so no one could hear me, and I just sang and sang and sang. And with every note that I sang, I could feel deliverance coming to my own heart. I could feel the worry, the fear, the stress just being lifted off as I proclaimed how amazing my God is. And I sang and sang and sang until I didn't really have a voice left. And I just kept singing. And as I did that, it brought deliverance. Sometimes we sing because we need to be delivered from the prison that we've put ourselves in. Sometimes we sing because we need to be delivered from the prison that other people have put us in or that circumstances have put us in. Paul and Silas, they knew the way to deliverance in this life or if it didn't, if they didn't, if they weren't set free from the jail, then Deliverance forever is to praise Jesus, is to thank Him. And we do that through song. They began to sing. So why do we sing? To express emotion, to bring deliverance. But we also sing to exercise faith. We sing to declare what needs to be declared. Sometimes we sing to declare to our own heart what our heart needs to hear. Sometimes we sing to exercise Right now, I don't feel like I'm trusting God, so I'm going to sing. I will trust. Sometimes I I feel really fearful, 
So I'm going to proclaim in this moment, I'm going to sing that I'm brave. You make me brave. You guys remember that song? You make me brave. Man, we sang that song over and over again when we were going to plant the church. She was like, I don't feel very brave. Moving to a city, I don't know a single person. and We're going to start a church because God's called us to. Man, we, I sang that song a lot. I thought, I'm not brave unless God, you know, helps me here. There's so many times where I wake up and I'm thinking, man, I don't, I'm not really trusting God with my future right now. And I need to sing. And I will put my trust in you alone. Right? Not in my own ability. But it's, it's through the, the act of singing that I can exercise my faith. Because I know up here that I'm supposed to trust God, but sometimes here doesn't follow what here knows. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes, I, I was telling Brooke this yesterday. Like I was trying to articulate it, which I didn't do a great job. But it was like, it, sometimes... I know, I can logically explain that there's no reason to be stressed or worried or fearful or whatever, but somehow my emotions can't let go of the stress and the worry and the fear. Sometimes singing is what allows me to exercise the faith. It allows that knowledge to move from my head to my heart. To focus on that act of, I'm going to proclaim the goodness of God. I'm going to proclaim His promises. He has promised to take care of me, so I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to sing it out. Sometimes you can sing on key. Sometimes you can't, some people can't ever sing on key. That doesn't mean you can't sing. You know, how do we sing? We sing joyfully with gratitudes in our hearts. We sing on key and off key. Like God doesn't really care if your singing is on key. The person sitting next to you might care, but God doesn't. Which is why, you know, people on stage with microphones, typically they know how to sing on key. Because everyone's listening to them. But to God, he's just listening to our act of singing. Much less about the notes. How do, how do we sing? Like, why do we sing? Some reasons why we sing. How do we sing? Part of it is we sing from the inside out. So it's that, it's that my ins- I'm going to proclaim internally. I'm going to sing out what I should be experiencing inside. Sometimes it's the opposite. We sing from the outside in. Sometimes to exercise our faith, I sing externally something that my own heart is not believing at the moment, but I'm going to proclaim it through song so that my heart begins to believe it. So why do we sing? To express emotion, to bring deliverance, to exercise faith. Psalm 59. But I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress my refuge in times of trouble. There's been times where I didn't feel like it and I had to tell my soul, you're going to sing of God's strength. You are going to sing of God's love. Because God is my fortress. He's my refuge in times of trouble. Why do we sing? To remember what Jesus has done. Why do we sing? Because we can go through life and life gets busy, and things get hectic, and we simply forget what Jesus has done. Not we forget, like we we can't remember, but in the moment, we're not actively remembering what Jesus has done for us. We're not actively remembering that Jesus came. He left heaven's throne. He left his eternal, perfect, divine nature in heaven and took the frail, imperfect form of a human being. Then he lived a perfect life. 
He died on a cross, rose from the dead, so that we could be free. He took on the form of a human. He, he came in the, in the frail form of a baby. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man when he came to earth. But when he was a baby, he couldn't feed himself. Could you imagine, as an adult, we work, we provide, we do this. Can you imagine not being able to do anything for yourself? Right? Love on your kids well, because we might end up there one day when you're super you know, elderly, and you might need them to take care of you again. Like, that's a scary thought. Like, you might be back there one day. But Jesus had so much more than we have now. He had all power and all strength, and he left it all and came in the form of a baby. We sing to remember what Jesus has done. This morning, uh, under your seat, there is a little communion lunchable. And what we're going to do is we're going to practice remembering what Jesus has done. couple thousand years ago, when Jesus was living on earth, he was with his disciples in the upper room when they were having the Last Supper, and he walked them through what we're going to do right now, this process, this ceremony of communion. And at the end, he said, do this to remember me, because Jesus knew if we don't constantly remind ourselves of his grace, if we don't constantly remind ourselves of his sacrifice, we're going to forget, and we're going to live as if he didn't set us free. So we gather together as, a, as the body of Christ, generation upon generation upon generation, and take communion so that we never forget what Jesus did for us. You know, we practice open communion here, which means we don't have to take a class, we don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. But one thing that we do as a church family before we take communion is we spend just a moment praying a prayer of repentance. Because Paul writes in Corinthians that whenever you take communion, whenever you take the Lord's Supper, that you're supposed to take it whenever you are, you've been made right with God. And we know that we're made right with God through repenting of our sins and our mistakes. We're not made right with God by doing a bunch of good works. We're not made right with God by helping other people and giving. No, we're made right with God simply by repenting because he paid the price for our sins. So I'm going to lead us through a simple prayer of repentance. And if you want to repeat it out loud with me, you can. Uh, if you just want to say it in your heart, you can do that. But we're just going to say a simple prayer of repentance before we jump into uh, our communion this morning. Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you. We have made countless mistakes. We are imperfect humans that are in need of your grace. We confess today that we have sinned and we repent of those sins now. We turn to you and ask for forgiveness and wholeness. We ask that you turn our hearts towards you as we turn away from our past sin. We give you our guilt, shame, and mistakes. We now accept your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy. Amen. Luke chapter 22 says that Jesus took some bread 
and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke the bread in pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you open the top portion of your communion today and just take out that piece of bread? This wafer here represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. It represents the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross so that we did not have to endure physical punishment for our sins. That's why his body was broken, so that our body didn't have to be broken. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for your body. As we hold this wafer, as we hold this piece of bread, we remember your body that was beaten with the cat of nine tails, that was whipped. We remember your back that was opened up, that bled profusely. We remember your hands that were nailed to the cross. We remember your feet that were nailed to the cross. We remember your body that was broken for us. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread together. And open the cup portion. In verse 20, it says, After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus, we thank you that you allowed your blood to be spilled so that our sins could be forgiven for all eternity. We thank you that we don't have to bring a blood sacrifice to be forgiven of our sin, but that your blood covers our sin forever. So this morning, we think about your blood and our forgiveness and how it washes us clean and new, and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup together. I'm going to invite our worship team up this morning. And as they come up, we're going to spend the last few minutes together practicing what we preached about today, singing. We're going to sing three songs uh, to close us out today. The first song is called At the Cross. And we're going to sing about what Jesus has done, remembering that at the cross is when we were forgiven and set free. Then we're going to sing a song called Draw Near. The song is all about us making a conscious decision to draw near to God. In James chapter 4, it says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And then we're going to finish out singing today a song called Graves in the Gardens, which is all about how God takes dead things and brings them back to life. And he's the only one that has the power to do that. Would you stand with me this morning? And we're going to spend some time worshiping God.